we all have moments that we'd like to forget. Like that time we messed up in front of class, or that time where you said, you too, to the waiter who said, enjoy your meal. And it's all stuff we can laugh about. But we also have those things we desperately want to forget. Things we don't ever want to think about again, and things we hope no one ever finds out about. And the memories of those can tend to like relentlessly cling to us, sometimes for the rest of our lives. But there's a way to leave them behind us and walk away into something better. And we find it in the story of Jesus. So let's talk about it together. We all have moments we wish we could undo or redo. Like when I proposed to Liz, my wife, you know how like how romantic it was? You know what I did? I turned around the couch and said, so you wanna get married? I didn't even have a ring. Like I wish I could redo that. And someone who knew something about embarrassing pasts was the apostle Peter. He once tried to reprimand Jesus and Jesus actually called him Satan. Another time when Jesus was arrested, Peter tried to fight his way out of it and cut off a guy's ear only to have Jesus reprimand him again and heal the guy's ear. And then during Jesus' trial, right before Jesus is executed, Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. But Peter experienced something that allowed him to not just move on from that past, but have an entirely new life. And as he was getting older, he had his friend John Mark write down the story of his experiences with Jesus. We call it the book of Mark. Now, at the beginning of the book, John Mark lays out Jesus' main message, that the kingdom of God is near, that God reigning in the hearts and lives of his people is coming now to repent and believe the good news that heaven has come to earth and that you can be known, you're seen, and you're loved by God himself. And in this new kingdom of God, it's possible to leave our past behind us and move into a new life. And the next three stories in this book show us how to do that. And what we'll discover is this, the only cure for unrelenting guilt is relentless forgiveness. Now, at this point in the story that Mark's laying out for us, after casting out demons and, and healing a bunch of people, and if demons are weird, check out our last episode, Jesus has become the most famous man in the area. And stories about what he can do and, and who he might be have spread everywhere. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. And he says the man has leprosy. And, and in the ancient writings, it's kind of a catch-all term for a bunch of different skin diseases, including Hansen's disease, which is what we call leprosy now. And it's this whatever the disease this man had was believed to be highly contagious. And Jewish religious law had said, if, some type of, if someone has some type of skin disease, then they need to go to a priest to be examined. And the priest would then declare, you know, if it was a big deal or not, if they were clean or unclean. And if they were unclean, well then, they had to tear their clothes, they had to keep their hair uncombed, they had to go live in isolation. And if they were ever around people, they had to yell out, unclean, unclean, so nobody would touch them. Because anyone who touched somebody who was unclean would then also be considered unclean and have to go through this whole purification process to be clean again. So imagine the isolation and the loneliness and the shame and the rejection and, and the loss of your family. They couldn't live with their family, the loss of their family and their belongings and, and everything they've built their life around. There was no cure for it either. This is like their life from now on. Like who knows how long this man had suffered this way. But he had heard of Jesus and was desperate enough to break the law and kneel within touching distance of Jesus. Why? 
because he believed. He said, if you are willing, you can heal me. You can make me clean. And then Jesus does something unthinkable. Moved with compassion, Jesus Jesus reached out and touched him. Jesus touches the leper. Now, in everyone's mind, Jesus has just been infected with this man's uncleanness. Like, you don't touch a leper. It's just not what you do. So, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Meaning he was immediately healed. So all the sores and stuff he had on his skin, like in front of their eyes, it like healed and disappeared. And instead of Jesus being made unclean by the man's disease, it's like Jesus infected the man with his own cleanness. See, Jesus's cleanness is more than enough for any of our uncleanness. Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. He says, don't tell anyone. Like, why not? Jesus, you want you want people to know that they can be healed? Like, you want to help people? Let people know that you can do this. Like, it was an uncurable disease and now you've cured it. Well, Mark never tells us why Jesus tells people to keep things secret. But one reason, especially here, is for, for this guy, according to Jewish law, he's technically still unclean until he's examined by a priest. And so Jesus tells this man, go to a priest, get checked out so they can see that you are healed so that you will have proof that you can be restored back into society. So he's like saying, keep it secret for this guy because you're not ready yet. You got to be declared clean. But the guy does what all of us would probably do. But the man went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. As a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out of the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. And so Jesus can barely move around with all the people wanting to be around him and and listen to his teaching and, and be healed. And the same thing happens when he goes back to his home base. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And so the excavations of Capernaum, of ancient Capernaum, the city, show that the rooms there probably about 16 and a half feet across. So they couldn't really fit that many people. And so the place gets mobbed by all these people trying to hear Jesus. Because no one, as we had said before, no one had ever heard the things Jesus was saying. This was like brand new and their minds are being blown. Like this literally is God himself explaining what his kingdom on earth will be like. If I mean, if ever there was a teaching that needed to be heard, it was this, right? This is literally God's truth. And you would think that God himself speaking to the people, telling them what he is like, you would think that would take priority over anything else. But there's actually something even more important, even more needed at this moment. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. The houses in those days in Capernaum were like single-story structures with flat roofs made of like wooden beams and branches packed with mud. So like pretty thick stuff. And they were accessible by outside stairs. And so people could go up to the roof and maybe do some work and sleep there if it's too hot or maybe they're fighting with their spouse and they need a break. And so these guys go up on the roof and they break it apart and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus, completely disrupting what was going on. 
So what would you do if you were there? What would you do if you were the owner of the house, right? You'd be like, dude, my insurance doesn't cover crazies digging through my roof. What if you were the other people there listening to Jesus? Like we're working so hard to kind of get through the crowd and hear what Jesus is saying. You'd probably be like, hey, like wait in line. It's not your turn. We've all had to wait. What are you doing? And besides, this isn't healing time. You're interrupting the teacher. Wait until he's done. Like this is important truth. And what if, you know, we were Jesus? He's, you know, he only has so long on earth to teach people about the kingdom of God. Like this is a great opportunity. You don't want to waste it. And he's probably on a roll. Like people are listening. People are engaged. They're not like on their phones or nodding off or getting up to go to the bathroom. But how does he react? The same as always. Not how anyone would expect. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. See how Jesus calls the man like his child? Like there's this care and there's this compassion. He's not annoyed or, or bothered or frustrated. He stops teaching the truths of the kingdom of God, like the most important truths and facts in the universe, to focus on the most precious thing in the universe, an individual person. Jesus prioritizes people over everything else. And he looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. And the man's probably like, um, okay, cool. Uh, thanks, but uh, about these legs... But Jesus knew what the man really needed. Maybe the man had guilt more crippling than his disability. Maybe he had been ostracized and judged because of the belief at the time, kind of like karma, that people get what they deserved and either he or his parents had sinned. And so now, of course, he's paralyzed. Maybe he actually believed that about himself. And he's thinking, I'm in this mess and because it's my fault and I'm just a guilty sinner. Probably a combination of all of those would be my guess. So Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, what did this man do to earn that forgiveness? He allowed himself to be lowered to Jesus. That's it. The only requirement to receive Jesus's forgiveness is to go to Jesus. But in this story, there's a problem. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. See, Jesus wasn't just stating a fact that this guy's sins are forgiven because he's such, you know, a faithful guy or whatever. No, he was actually claiming to be the one doing the forgiving. And the religious leaders think to themselves, like, they're like, wait a second. This, like, this was interesting, good teaching. And somehow we got a seat here because we're so special. And, but now this guy's crossed the line. Like, this sounds a lot like blasphemy, which is assuming authority only God had, which was punishable by death at the time. And I think we give these religious leaders a bad rap. I mean, yes, okay, eventually they do kill Jesus, charging him with blasphemy. But at this point in the story, I don't think there's anything sinister going on here because they're not wrong. According to the Jewish scriptures, it is God who has the authority to forgive sin. Two examples. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. I, yes, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake, and I will never think of them again. I alone will blot out your sins. But why is it only God who can forgive sin? Well, sin is breaking God's law of love. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and show that by loving your neighbor as yourself. And so sin is really breaking the law of God, rebelling against the God of love. And ultimately, 
when you think think about it, only the king has the right to forgive rebellion. And so God is the only one who really has the right to forgive rebellion against him, sin. So in the mind of the religious leaders, no matter how good the teaching is, no matter how much healing Jesus does, he has no right to forgive what only God can forgive. And Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, and he knows exactly what it means. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? See, anyone can say, you know, your sins are forgiven. There's really no outward proof. You're just like, oh, that's a nice thing to say. You can say anything, but if somebody says it, can they back it up? And Jesus is saying, I can back it up. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. And notice again the eyewitness details of him jumping up and grabbing his mat and walking through this stunned crowd. And Jesus proved he has the authority to forgive sin. And the crowd goes wild. And they're like, oh my goodness, what is this? We've never seen anything like this. Like they saw the man paralyzed and now he's like walking by them, brushing their clothes and stuff. Now, once Jesus has the chance to get away again, he takes a little stroll by the lake. And in this third story, we see him applying his authority to forgive sins and what that authority does for people who experience it. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now, if you've been watching these episodes for a while, you know that tax collectors in that time were hated. They were Jews working for the Romans, and the Romans were oppressing their, the Jewish people, and so they were traitors. And Jesus calls Levi, also known as Matthew, to be one of his main disciples. Now again, what, did, what do we see Levi doing to deserve this call, to be like one of the main people to, that, to walk with God on earth to spread his kingdom on earth? Like, do we see Jesus preaching a sermon at him and him being like, oh, good sermon, thank you, yes, I'll follow you. No. Do we see Levi doing any confessions of sin or gestures of remorse? No. Jesus invited Levi. Levi accepted it. And it changed Levi. Like, it's that simple. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. I love that. There are many kinds of these types of people as Jesus' followers. See, people who are nothing like Jesus loved being around Jesus because he loved them. He identified with them. Remember, if you share at a table, even nowadays, you share a table with somebody, you're identifying with them. You're saying, these are my people. And they, well, like, think about it. Would they have wanted to be around him if he like always preaching at them or telling them the truth in love or making sure they knew he didn't condone their lifestyle? Of course not. Love and forgiveness does what guilt never can. Transform a life. And if that, what I just said, makes you uncomfortable and kind of makes you want to ask, yeah, but what about, well, you're not alone. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? 
And you're like, such, these guys, that's harsh, guys, right? Like, who would say that to somebody's face? Well, we would. And we probably do more with our actions than words, hopefully. But we do that more than we're willing to admit. See, we are often more quick to accept forgiveness than to offer it. And how does Jesus respond to this harshness? When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And Jesus shines a spotlight on the difference between his agenda and the agenda of the religious leaders. See, the leader's agenda was to keep their religion pure and keep their nation pure and make sure there was no sin contaminating anything. And they get to decide who's in and who's out and make sure that those who are out know that they're out. And either, you know, hopefully those people will leave them alone or they become so burdened with guilt they finally give in and conform to what these religious leaders want. That wasn't Jesus' agenda. See, Jesus came to save people, to free them from the burdens that life and religion had put on them. To show them that no matter who they are and what they, are, they have done, they are worthy to be loved and accepted. God doesn't see us for what we have done, but for who we are, his adored children created in his image. And if we're honest and we truly look at ourselves, actually we see ourselves in, in both of these two groups, right? We're both the sinners and the religious leaders in this story. Because we're so good at deciding who should be in and out, right? People who vote differently than us or parent differently than us or work differently or live differently or love differently or follow Jesus differently than us. While at the same time, we can't shake that inner voice telling us we are just as guilty. See, we can be overwhelmed with guilt and filled with judgment at the same time. And the truth is, we all need forgiveness. Nobody's squeaky clean. We're all just as dirty as the other. And nothing we can do can change it. Right? There's no way we can undo and redo our past and the hurt we've caused in our past. We need a new life. We need a new start. We need to be, as Jesus said, born again. And that is what the kingdom of God is all about. Jesus showed us who God is. He showed us what love truly is. And then he died on the cross as humanity's representative to put to death our sin and rebellion against God. And then he rose again to give us a new life that can begin today and last forever. But this new life isn't something we can we deserve, and it's not something we can earn. No, forgiveness is a gift Jesus gives to everyone who will accept it. And once we accept it, the Holy Spirit begins to transform us and our hearts. We're now able to offer that same forgiveness and that same love to other images of God. Another one of Jesus' disciples, John, said, We love because he loved us first. And then Paul, Paul the Apostle Paul, also said, We forgive just as God in Christ forgave us. Forgive just as God in Christ forgave you. See, accepting Jesus' love and forgiveness frees us to love and forgive each other. And forgiveness is amazing because it releases us from any thought that we have a right to hold anything against God's own children. Now, you might be thinking, yeah, okay, forgive and God forgives me, but I still feel guilty. You don't know what I did. What do we do when we know we're forgiven, but we still feel guilty? Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. And dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence. See, God knows the truth about who we are. Even if we feel guilty, he's stronger than our feelings. He knows the truth. And John is saying there, as we learn to accept that truth ourselves, 
we can focus on loving others and see that love as proof that we truly are forgiven and children of God. So this is my invitation this week for all of us. Read 1 John, what I just read, 1 John 3, 19 through 21. Read it five times. And then let's ask ourselves, where do I need to accept Jesus's forgiveness? Where in my life do I need to accept this forgiveness? And even if my conscience tells me I'm guilty, I know Jesus forgave me. And so I need to work on accepting that forgiveness for myself. And then ask, who do I need to offer Jesus's forgiveness to? Who have you been holding on the hook? And remember, if you don't forgive, it's, it's hurting you more than them. So who do you need to forgive? Maybe, and I'm not saying this for everything, you know, sometimes boundaries are good, but maybe those people that you need to offer Jesus forgiveness to, maybe you need to invite them for a meal. If you remember in our Art of Following Jesus series, sharing a meal with somebody is a huge deal in practicing the art of following Jesus. So think about it. What would a guilt-free life look like? What would a life of true peace and freedom in our souls free us to experience? We don't need to be told how guilty we are. We already know it. What we need is what only Jesus can give us, full, complete forgiveness. And he's offering it to everyone. And once we find it, we have the privilege of offering it to everyone else. And this is life in the kingdom of God. And the story of Jesus is the story of God's love and forgiveness. Let me read to you what Peter figured out after seeing Jesus' life and seeing his love and forgiveness. Talking about Jesus. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there will be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget, we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. We also have uh, stuff for kids this summer, some great lessons put out by the Bible Project. So we're really excited about some of the things that are happening over at Cross Creek, and we're just really glad to see you here online. Uh, send us your information via the welcome form, say hello, uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you, and we'll see you next week.